The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to the Recovery Corner. This is your host, Michael. This area of the podcast uh, is exclusively dedicated to addiction and recovery. Over the past year and a half, uh, we, we have seen that most of the headlines, obviously, and rightfully so, have been uh, around COVID. But quietly and in the background, our epidemic of uh, overdose deaths uh, and substance use uh, has continued. And this, this has been in the news for the last few years. It has only gotten worse during the pandemic. So we decided to create this area of the podcast to discuss issues related to addiction and recovery. For this, we recruited two of our in-house legends, Mark Lee, author of the book, The Drug Addict's Handbook for Recovery, and Rob Wilson, who is a therapist here at CPR, has uh, had decades of experience in the area of addiction and recovery as well. Hi, guys. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you. Thanks. Glad to be here. All right. So let's dive right into it. Why is addiction so difficult to treat, Mark? Well, uh, addiction is difficult to treat. Uh, and uh, there's a whole, whole raft of uh, reasons. I think uh, the place to start really is uh, resistance to change. I think there's a tremendous uh, human resistance to change. And uh, with recovery, uh, we're really asking for change in every area of the person's life. Uh, it's unlike most, most things. Uh, you know, if somebody wanted to change their, their diet, then the focus is on diet. If they want to change, uh, you know, what they're doing in terms of physical uh, activity, then the focus is on physical activity. When we're asking people uh, to change uh, who are experiencing problems with drugs, including alcohol, uh, we're asking for change in virtually every area, social uh, work, uh, who they're hanging out with, where they're hanging out, what they're doing. Uh, uh, we're asking them to face a whole series of uh, you know, challenging situations with new people and new situations that they're unfamiliar with. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of, uh, we're asking a lot, actually. <laughs> and people, people have a tendency to think of this as, well, it's just, uh, you just put down the drugs. And, it, and, you know, if only it was that simple. So, so uh, and I'm not sure that really people, uh, people are, in, uh, you know, so much in denial of a problem. I think uh, oftentimes people realize that they, they have a problem. It's just when they look at what's required to actually change, <laughs> mm -hmm. they're like, ah, I don't know. So, uh, so this human human resistance to change. Though, I mean, you see it in medical problems. Uh, people have a heart attack and uh, continue to smoke. You know, it's like uh, or continue the same diet that was uh, was sort of fouling their their arteries. Uh, you know, people that get diabetes are asked to, to make changes in terms of diet and checking their sugar and, and taking medications and don't. Actually, the compliance rates are about 7% uh, for diabetes. Uh, 
and the hospitals are filled. I've worked in many hospitals uh, for many years, and the hospitals are filled with people that are not compliant mm-hmm. with uh, either their uh, diabetes regimen or uh, what they would have theoretically wanted to do uh, for heart disease or other other medical problems. So, so this resistance to change is really not limited to addiction at all. It's really a very human, very broad uh, problem in our world. So, Yeah, and I would just add that uh, fear is a big part of resistance to change. I think that we're it's really difficult for, for any of us in any situation like Mark is highlighting, uh, whether it's a medical condition, a social situation, changes in family life, um, you know, whatever it may be, I think fear plays a really large role. It's scary to think that you're going to have to change, not just stopping using drugs or alcohol or both, but that you're going to have to change so much of, of your life and just how you approach life. And that uh, it requires you to really step out of your comfort zone. And I think that uh, it is a part of the human condition for all of us, that that's just a scary thing to do. And I think it, it becomes overwhelming and, and uh, makes it really difficult for someone even if they realize that they have an issue and they need some help, it's just that fear of what life will be like on the other side. It's, it prevents them from taking that first step to, to reaching out for help. Right. So it almost sounds, the way you put it, it sounds very overwhelming for sure. Uh, so as clinicians, how do you, what's your role? How do you break that down for people so it, they see a path? Because if if I'm, if I'm in that space where I know I have an addiction and I know I want to quit it, but it just feels like it's too difficult, that I'm never going to get there. How, how do you address those, uh, those clients? Well, well, you know, there's a couple, of, <clears throat> a couple of things. I think people don't realize uh, that this is a transient situation and that uh, things are actually going to get a lot simpler. <laughs> it's really hard to maintain an active addiction. <laughs> It really is, you know. So, you know, people and people are afraid. It's interesting. Uh, Rob's point is really important because people are afraid life will be boring, or you know, uh, I'd have to give up my friends, and you know, there's all these all these things, the sort of projections of what it's going to be like. And if you actually talk to people that had a long time drug problem and finally stopped, you know, you're going to hear people saying. It's really been good, <laughs> you know, it's like life got better and, you know, I got money in the bank and I can show up for work and, you know, my family is back with me and, you know, there's all this like good stuff that happens, but, you know, addicts and alcoholics, I think they're picturing the worst. How am I going to deal with the world without this drug, which is a huge, huge, huge issue. And, uh, and the brain actually is, has been subtly changed by active addiction. And, uh, and there's sort of a, uh, and I, I can't really uh, present the details uh, at this point, but uh, you know, there's actually changes that, that sort of raise the drug to the level of survival in terms of the brain function. And uh, uh, there's a wonderful, uh, wonderful video 
Pleasure Unwoven, where uh, and pieces of it at least are on the uh, on YouTube. And uh, he's a, a medical doctor who really talks about how the brain is is uh, is subtly changed over time, and so it really becomes more challenging for the person to to let go of this thing that they really see as uh, the basis of their survival. But uh, yeah, there's uh, there's definitely definitely a resistance to change. That in the end, after people get into recovery, they recognize like how crazy that was. Cause you know, if you're an active alcoholic and drinking a fifth of vodka a day, you know, it's hard to maintain, <laughs> hard to maintain your life. You know, it's, if you're shooting heroin, you got to come up with a couple hundred dollars a day or whatever. It's like, that's challenging. You know, that's a lot more challenging than I don't need any heroin. I don't need to come up with a couple hundred dollars for the heroin. So, or this being able to answer the phone, you know, uh, without fear, you know, it's like, there's just so many, so many uh, complications of active addiction that are eliminated once the person actually gets clean. So, so the picture that most people have of recovery is this painful, boring, (laughs) (laughs) terrible existence, which is like the exact 180 degrees from where you end up, if you're willing to face the challenges and work through it. And I would, I would agree that um, with what Mark is saying, I think a big part of it along with fear is, is misconceptions, you know, because we you see addiction portrayed in movies or we hear of other people that, uh, you know, what it, what it looks like or what we've heard about in terms of recovery and, you know, what you have to go through to do it. And, and, um, uh, so I think along with fear, um, yeah, just breaking down a lot of those misconceptions is is really important. Painting a realistic picture of what recovery looks like rather than, um, you know, all these um, unrealistic misconceptions that people have, I think is really important as well. Yeah, I would agree. So, yeah, this whole, uh, the whole media presentation of addiction, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it's it, you know, the, the television and movies, they need a little little excitement, you know, to, uh, you know, you need some sex and you already got the drugs, you got sex drugs and, and, you know, some rock and roll and, you know, you get some violence, you got to have uh, some kind of violent uh, incident and treatment or whatever. It's like, you know, it's, it's not really a, an accurate portrayal and they can't, you know, you can't really you can't sell a movie idea that's actually like a legitimate description of someone's <laughs> transition from active addiction into, into recovery. It's just, it's not going to be compelling, you know, right. for the person who's got, got clean, it's like a great experience, <laughs> but you know, for the movie audience, it'd be like, you know, guy goes to another group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a meeting, doesn't use drugs, there's no violence, there's no, you know, I mean, it's like, you really don't have a very compelling movie plot there. So, so, uh, but yeah, I think Rob is right on the money that, you know, we, we have uh, this issue of, of preconception, you know, preconceived notions of what recovery is going to be like and preconceived notions of what treatment is going to be like. And then for some people, like people that have, uh, have ended up on methadone or uh, suboxone and things, it can be very difficult to detox. 
you know, methadone detox, if you're coming down from 240 milligrams of methadone, this is a, like a six month project, you know? I mean, it's like some of these things are incredibly challenging. There's no question about it. So, so, and you know, with, with alcohol, you're going to have a terrible, if you're drinking a fifth a day or a half a gallon or a gallon, you know, I mean, I've worked with people who are drinking a gallon of alcohol a day. It's like, you're going to have a really rough detox. Right. You know, that's, that's reality. So, so that there, there, it's not all misconception. There's also an accurate fear of, Oh shit, I'm going to fear. Right. The withdrawals. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what, you know, what am I going to, you know, what am I going to feel like as I'm going through this experience? So. Right. But would you say um, the physical addiction is more difficult than the psychological one? Or is it no. the other way around? Yeah. No, no, in, the, in the beginning it is. It, yeah. You know, if, if somebody is drinking to the level that, that Mark is describing, that's usually the first step is, is becoming... Um, addressing the physical addiction. So that's where you see people going into detox centers and they um, can be medically treated. Um, so in a safe medical environment to wean themselves off of alcohol. And then the, um, the harder process, I think, is the, the psychological addiction and seems to, and it does take longer. For some people, it can be a lifelong process. Uh, to where, you know, people can say, well, I quit, you know, a hundred times, but it's the staying quit is the hard part. And that's where the real work begins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not even, you know, just the, the psychological addiction. It's really, a, it's a way of seeing the world. Addiction is sort of a, a, a way of perceiving reality. <laughs> so. Right. And unfortunately, addicts and alcoholics do not see things very accurately. I'm not sure. I'm not sure human beings are much better at it generally, but but addicts and alcoholics do not see things accurately. So, I mean, even this idea that stopping is going to be terrible, I mean, really doesn't make any sense. You know, if your life, you're getting arrested, you're getting beat up, you know, you're in the hospital. Like, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people that have been hospitalized as a result of their addiction. So, you know, it's like you have all this terrible stuff happening and yet you're afraid of stopping. <laughs> it just, it does not make any sense when you really think about it. But, uh, but that's, that's part of the problem here is that addicts and alcoholics really don't make a lot of sense, you know, when they're in active addiction. So, uh, and unfortunately, it, it really takes it takes some really bad stuff happening for most people to be motivated. And it's very much the same as heart disease and uh, and other medical problems. I mean, people people are uh, you know much more motivated for change if they've uh, the cardiologist has said, well, we've run out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. And you know they've had multiple uh, stents, bypasses, and and, you know, nothing works and they're not changing diet, smoking, you know, stuff that, you know, negatively impacts the heart. And, you know, the physician says, okay, I throw my hands up. You might as well go home and get a rocking chair and sit there until you die. And then people are motivated all of a sudden <laughs> to make some changes, you know. So, uh, 
And unfortunately, with addiction, it's very similar. Almost nobody really works at a change and works at at, uh, at recovery that hasn't had some bad things happening. And that could be emotional, uh, just a you know sense of uh, despair. It could be job-related, uh, health-related, family-related, uh, financially. I mean, there's almost always problems. And so people are also facing that, you know, when they get clean, they're, they're facing the difficulties that are motivating them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, my wife is, wants a divorce. Uh, my boss wants to fire me. You know, I'm facing jail time for uh, extortion and, you know, got nine <laughs> felony charges. I mean, this is the stuff that people come into recovery with frequently. So they've also got that that stuff there that they have to somehow face and walk through, which is really challenging. Yeah, and I would agree with all of that. I think the, that goes along with how how scary sobriety may seem to some people, as well as their preconceptions or misconceptions, and then as well acceptance that you actually have an issue with substances is always a a, a large hurdle to 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 scale, and. Like you said, you know whether it's social consequences, relationships, financial, employment, um, health. You know, unfortunately, it, a lot of times change doesn't start to happen until uh, we suffer one of those or, or more than one of those um, before we're before most people are willing to take a look at it. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that that is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's the reality. It's just, uh, you know, it's hard to motivate for this, this kind of this level of change. And, uh, and, uh, and then even when the person has the motivation, you're still facing the challenge of actually getting useful treatment, uh, you know, getting access to treatment. And there are studies that indicate if people do not get uh, treatment when they're ready for it, that oftentimes uh, they never get it, mm-hmm. uh, that they just wind on down uh, and, you know, into the, the kinds of ends that uh, addiction brings people. So, so access to treatment is, is really limited, really limited. And access to quality treatment is even more limited. But yeah, mm-hmm. even more and, so. and there's a reason for that. And that's because it actually costs money to have people treat people. (laughs) (laughs) It's an investment. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a costly process. There's, uh, and there's a parallel with, uh, with schizophrenia in this country. uh, The tendency is to treat schizophrenia with medication, period, pretty much. And uh, in other countries, uh, I think it's Finland, they actually uh, invest a tremendous amount of people power (laughs) in helping schizophrenics uh, and, and providing treatment. And they actually cycle back people back into their lives, uh, back into their jobs, their families. They actually get them through a crisis and back into their lives, which we really don't do in this country. Uh, we have a tendency to medicate people and, and uh, permanently. Right. <laughs> and and uh, we really don't make an effort to somehow transition them back into the life that they, they had. So, uh, so access to treatment, a lot of the treatment that's available today 
uh, is not super high quality. And uh, there's a really limited number of people that are in a position to provide quality treatment. Uh, it's not, you got a picture working with addicts can be really challenging. So there's a lot of anger, uh, confrontation, posturing, uh, and a lot of people like your super skilled therapists are like, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> they're, they're not buying that this is what they should be doing with their, you know, their sophisticated skills. And so they go off and, and do something else. And so the people like uh, prisons are now, uh, you know, the de facto uh, provider of mental health services in this country. And nobody really, nobody super high quality, you know, therapist wants to work in a prison environment. So. But do you think this is an issue of money? So if, if you can afford one of those 30-day all-inclusive, you go horseback riding and canoeing every day, uh, is that any better than the treatment that you can get for less money? I, I mean, at the end of the day, is that going to really help your life long term? Well, it's, you know, it's hard to say, actually. Uh, I, uh, I ran the program at uh, Banner Scottsdale, the the villa, which was the residential program there for five years, it was a thousand dollars a day and uh, cash. And I don't know, you know, really that we were that much better than the place that, uh, you know, was charging uh, $300 uh, or less. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is everybody that's actually willing to do the work Mm -hmm. uh, gets clean. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that's, that's a a big factor in all of this is regardless of how much it costs or where you go. Um, the, the, that, uh, that variable is going to be the person themselves and how Uh much do they want it? How much have they gone through before they've realized, yes, I need some help. I have a problem. And how much are they going to be willing to put into their own recovery? Because it's an investment in the sense of whether it's money from insurance companies or wherever it may be coming from. Um, it's also the, an investment of that person. So I think that ties into some of the other things we're talking about with uh, acceptance, fear, misconceptions. Um, a person has to decide, is this going to be worth it? you know, for, for me, you know, or can I just continue on the way I am or make some, you know, try to make some little adjustments, try a, a softer, easier way, which more times than not doesn't, um, because there is a risk, um, uh, whether someone is going to be able to stay sober or not. And mm-hmm. so I think that really gets, um, thrown into the calculation when, um, whether it's, you know, insurance companies or treatment facilities or the, or a person themselves really take a look at and, and, and in deciding how much to invest. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, actually a lot of addicts and alcoholics, by the time they're ready to change, they don't have any money. <laughs> a lot of them don't have any insurance, you know, it's like, uh, but so one of the, one of the cool things about recovery is that you can actually pull it off uh, for free. And, uh, and again, you know, this is, you gotta be pretty darn motivated, but, uh, you know, in, in the Valley, uh, here, we've got hundreds of free 12 step meetings and, you know, regardless of what people think of the 12 step fellowships, it's pretty hard to beat the price. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so there's resources, there's people that have successfully stopped using who are willing to help. There's literature, you, know, you can buy a book for eight bucks or whatever. And, you know, it's like, there's stuff that people can do. So this idea that, that I have to have money or I have to have a 30 day program. Uh, and it's, you know, for some drugs like heroin, it's pretty darn difficult to, to stop it at home. Uh, actually one of the big insurance companies, uh, uh, push that idea and has pushed that idea that uh, they should just be able to do this on an outpatient basis. And there, <laughs> there's really not a lot of evidence that that makes sense, but sure save them some money. The, uh, you know, so you completely eliminate uh, the need for an inpatient setting. But, but uh, you know, this, I guess if my take has been for many years, if people are willing to do everything they can, to get better, they'll get better. So if you got some crummy treatment program and that's all you can do, do it. <laughs> if you've got three meetings and you're living in Heber or some little town in the hinterlands and you got three meetings that you can go to, go. You know, uh, it's like whatever you can do, do that, you'll probably be okay. But do any less than that and you probably won't be okay. <laughs> I've told thousands of people this, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just do everything you can <laughs> and you'll be okay. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I don't know, you know. That's that old saying where you, you get out of it what you put into it. Very much, yeah. Absolutely, Rob, I couldn't agree more with that statement. So I think to, to recap some of the nuggets of wisdom that you guys have dropped throughout the podcast, uh, if you're a listener with an active addiction, it is very important to understand that feeling fearful and overwhelmed is, is natural. Um, it's, it's how a lot of people feel in that situation. Um, but keep in mind, this is temporary. Active addiction is a temporary situation things are going to get simpler and better for you and easier if you start on the path to recovery. There is a lot of free support out in the community for you if you decide to embark in this recovery. And finally, if you're willing to do everything that you can, you will get better. Again, if you're willing to do everything you can, you will get better. And with that, we will leave you. Thank you so much, Rob and Mark, for joining the podcast. This has been The Recovery Corner. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mark. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support.